Good morning, church family. It's good so morning. good to see you. Yeah, aren't they beautiful? They're beautiful. <laughs> Wasn't that just wonderful worshiping together this morning? I just, yeah. um, back in kids' church, we're a little bit louder, so it's really awesome. Um, we I can am, turn it up in no, here. No, it's actually quite loud. <laughs> actually, you know, when we bring the kids in, they do this. Wimps. Because it's louder. But what I can tell you is what I love about coming in and worshiping with you is I can hear your voices, and they're beautiful, <laughs> most of them, right? Oh, that was good. That was good. <laughs> but it is really fun. I, I love our worship team, and I just love being able to worship with you and truly hear your voices just worshiping our Savior together, at, like, in one accord. It's just beautiful. That's what church family is for. So I just, I'm thankful you're here. I'm thankful that you're making church a priority in your life, and you're just being a part of this family. Yeah. So it's pretty awesome. Who are awesome. you? Well, I think they figured it out by now. Oh, okay. <laughs> I am our kids' pastor, uh, usually down the hall, jumping around and being a little crazy. But um, I do love to hear your voices in worship. So Yeah. Before we get into announcements and everything like that, I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. Uh, we just want to celebrate. We had a lot going on this past weekend. Um, our students, our youth students, we went to the Next Gen Conference up in Redmond. And I just want to say it is a privilege and an honor to serve your students. And just being there was an amazing, amazing time. I can tell you this, that this next generation, your students, they are hungry and they are ready to fight for their generation, their friends, their family to know Jesus more. And we are so excited. And we, it, it, it was awesome. And so I just want to say thank you. Um, I had a ton of fun. Stayed up till like 2 o'clock in the morning on Friday night. I have not been up that late in a long time, uh, but it, it was it was it was an amazing amazing time. Yeah, and while you were off at youth conference, we had an awesome women's conference happening right here at MRCC. We had a simulcast going on, and boy, it was cool to gather as ladies and yeah. uh, be encouraged to worship together. All that was just wonderful. Um, but on the heels of that, we we still have Sisters of Strength coming up, and it's tomorrow. So, ladies. Come back together with us, or if you weren't with us this weekend, come uh, tomorrow. It's just such a great opportunity to connect and fellowship and just be encouraged together uh, in your church family. Yeah, and yep. coming up at the end of the month on October 29th is uh, another way to connect. It is a, uh, a new Connections lunch here at MRCC. Um, it's not actually here, but it's going to be in Buckley, and it's just an opportunity. If you just want to get to know some more people or the pastoral staff or anything like that, um, I just encourage you to join us for that. We provide lunch, and it's just a time of fellowship to, to get to know each other and us more. That's awesome. There's actually so many ways to be connected here. Uh, if you are, are new, obviously being able to connect in a, for over lunch, but you know we have uh, tons of groups that are meeting all over, all throughout the week in different ways. Um, there are pastors out in the foyer between services to just kind of try and make sure there's a way for you to be connected. Of course, serving on a team, that's one of the heartbeats I would have. Uh, it's beautiful to serve on a team. So come and talk to any one of us um, if you want to be in kids' ministry. Or youth. Yeah. <laughs> or really in any way, there's so many ways to serve in your church um, that it just is such a beautiful thing that I'm just going to tell them the next way they can serve Go on our it. new kids building. Yeah. You guys know that the, have you seen this building? There's no construction tape anymore. You see that? We're almost there. <laughs> We are like we're there. in the final home stretch of the building being finished. And as a part of that, one of the ways we talked about uh, saving a little money was that we would take on the, the final cleaning of the building. And everyone said, Woo! Amen. Yeah. So, <laughs> I want to invite you to join me is what I'm doing. <laughs> 
Uh, but if you really would love uh, to partner in one way with this new building, we are going to be cleaning it, dusting it, vacuuming it, wa washing windows, all the things you need to do to make this beautiful building shiny. Uh, on October 23rd and 24th, uh, Pastor Greg said, don't do it on the 22nd. There's a Seahawks game. And look, there's a Seahawks game happening, and you're here. Welcome. <laughs> They've got their phones out. See, it's all on their phones. Um, but anyway, so we're not doing it on Sunday because of Seahawks, but we are on Monday and Tuesday. And actually, we're going to extend into the evening on Tuesday for people who work during the day and really want to do something to partner with their church in this new building. Uh, on Tuesday, we'll be actually putting things together, like some of the equipment we purchased, we'll be putting those together. And so it'll be just a great opportunity for you to jump in and help over there. So I'll let you talk about baptisms. I've been Yeah, coming up long. on October 29th <laughs> is baptisms. We are so excited. It's one of our favorite Sundays here at MRCC to just come together and celebrate um, anyone who they have decided that this is their next step. Um, biblically, you know, it says to do this. And so we're excited to celebrate that with you as a public declaration for your next step in your faith. We're excited to celebrate that and just encourage you and be alongside of you um, on the 29th. And so if you're interested in that, if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to contact the church office. Um, give us a call and you can sign up online as well. You can sign up at the guest center. You can also sign up at the guest center. Yes. You can do everything in the foyer or online. It's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Before yep. we get started today, Pastor Dave, who is in charge of our benevolence and everything like that, um, brought it upon you. himself to um, bless Greg and Rhonda this morning. With something beautiful. With uh, the imminent defeat of the, the yep. ducks. And so here you go. Yep. It's beautiful. You, you know, we, we say over and over and over again, it's because of your generosity that we can afford to do this. For Greg and Rhonda in their deepest time of suffering and need. <laughs> What's this? Oh, okay. <laughs> she has left the building. <laughs> Thanks, you guys. Yeah, you that was so funny. Yeah. <laughs> the reason that's funny is because Rhonda said last night when she got home, I'm going to have to go face all those people tomorrow. <laughs> She's laughing. That's awesome. Thank you. Boy, was that, that was the best college football game I think I've ever watched. That was an amazing game. And my, my lifelong Husky buddy, we've been friends for 40 years. We watched that together. And he was so sure the Huskies were going to lose. But at the end, they didn't. But we'll see you in Vegas at the end of the year, right? Yeah, for the Pac-12 championship. It doesn't look like the Cougars are going there. I'm sorry after yesterday. But anyway, enough of that, right? Yeah. We're, we're all Seahawks on Sunday, so it's all good. But uh, bless you. It's good to see you this morning. Welcome to God's house. Welcome, everybody who's joining us online I know that all of you are deeply and spiritually relieved that I got a haircut, so you can just sort of celebrate that this morning. But, but um, hey, uh, as we get ready in, in just a couple of weeks on Sunday, uh, November 5th, as we get ready to uh, open the kids' building for the first time, what an amazing moment. Uh, Pastor Allison uh, just was sitting in the kids' building looking at it this last week as we get ready to use it. And she was just overcome with tears. She just started bawling, you know. And I said, Pastor Allison, people believe in your ministry so much that they have given 
in order to give you every tool uh, in the world to do that ministry. And so to all of us who have given so faithfully and served in so many ways to help make that happen, there's just not enough thanks that I could ever say. But just know that your father sees that. We're going to celebrate all those folks. Even now, in the last couple of weeks, another couple of people have come forward with very large, very generous gifts to the children's building. And it's just amazing. So thank you for your faithfulness and your giving. Thank you for putting up with me and trusting my poor leadership. God is using your faith to bring about this kind of thing. So can we just celebrate all those folks who've been faithful and giving? See how I shifted us away from the whole husky duck thing there? You see that right there? Grab your Bible this morning and open it to Luke's Gospel, chapter 16. And we're going to continue our road trip together through Luke's Gospel. And remember, the point of this whole trip is that Jesus said that there's going to be a lot of folks saying a lot of things about Jesus, and they're not true. They're going to be talking about a Jesus who isn't the real one. He said, watch out for that, because it's dangerous. It's easy to be led astray by that. And today, we would call it a deep fake, and we really live in the age of deep fake. And and Jesus said, it's easy to tell the difference. Just pay attention to the real me. And you'll always be able to identify the fake ones. And, and so that's why we're going through Luke's gospel together. If, if somebody preaches a Jesus that is not the Jesus of the Bible, it's just not the real one. And so we're walking together through Luke's gospel so that we can get in touch with that. We're in chapter 16, beginning with verse 19 this morning, kind of heading into the home stretch as we get into the holidays. We'll be finishing up. But let me ask you this. It's football season, so let me ask you this question. Have you ever wondered what life would be like, your daily life, our, our everyday life, if we had in our everyday life instant replay like you have in a football game, right? So you could say, I didn't say that, and somebody could throw a challenge flag, and you could actually look at the instant replay. Can you imagine what life would be like if you did that? Um, there's actually, you may know, a kind of a series of commercials from an insurance company that are about what life would be like if we had instant replay in everyday life. And I, I thought I'd share just two of those commercials with you this morning. Give your attention to the screen for a moment. It's been so long since I've seen you. You guys should come over and watch the game again this Sunday. We would love that. You said you didn't want to watch the game with them. What? No, I didn't, sweet. You said they never stopped talking. Girl, I never said that. She just be making stuff up. We don't need to see the replay. Yeah, let's check it. This What Really Happened replay is brought to you by Progressive. One thing no one would challenge, saving money when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. See? Where is that bus? In my defense, I was tired. You know, hangry. For more great content that doesn't publicly make embarrass excuses. you, yeah, click over we? here. Check this other one out, because this one could have happened in our marriage, Rhonda. Oh. Is yours wet, too? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. You have a sunroof open. Uh, I, d I didn't open it. You're Mr. Sunroof. I'm Mr. Sunroof? Yeah, you're always like, let's open the sunroof. I didn't leave it open. Doing the replay? You know. This What Really Happened replay is brought to you by Progressive. One thing no one would challenge, protecting your home and auto with Progressive. Let me get that for you. It's actually kind of nice. Doesn't even bother me. <laughs> I like what he says at the end. This is kind of nice. Doesn't even bother me. Liar. You know, the, the whole commercial series is about our tendency to be dishonest with ourselves. And how different would life be if the lights came on in the sanctuary? There they are. How different would life be 
Uh, you know, if there was instant replay, that forced us to be honest. That forced us to own up to what really happened. Because there's a times, for all of us, every one of us, there's times when we're actually afraid of being honest. When we actually avoid being honest, even with ourselves. I, uh, my, my wife, can I tell you that she is, when it comes to making soups from scratch, Rhonda is like the master of making soup. She makes incredible soups from scratch all the time. When we have people over and they experience one of her soups, they're always like, wow, that's amazing. How'd you do that? And she just kind of does it off the cuff. She sort of makes it up as she goes. She doesn't really follow recipes. And nine out of 10 times, the soup she makes is amazing. And nine out of 10 times, we'll sit down at the table and she'll say, what do you think? I'll say, oh, Rhonda, you are the soup queen. You are the soup master But then there's those one in 10 times when it's not great. In fact, when I take my first bite of it, I I sort of begin to feel the Lord calling me to a fast in that moment. (laughs) Craig, you should lay off of this. And, And she'll say, what do you think? You know, it's just the two of us there at the house nowadays. And I'll say, well this isn't your best soup you've ever made. I don't like this one. And that's what I say, but what I'm thinking is, if I try to choke this down, I'm going to vomit right here in front of you. This is no good. And I say, you know, so often you make great soups, but this one isn't. And there's kind of a tension after that as we finish dinner together. But you know, the reality is, here's the reality. In all of our closest relationships, we crave honesty. When, when, it's, when it's our good friends, when it's our, our, our family, when it's people who are near to us, we, re- we don't like it when they sugarcoat things. We want them to tell us the truth. We want them to be real and honest with us. We value that deeply because, because we know that where there's sugarcoating or where there's faking or all that kind of stuff, it, it's really very dishonest and, and it kind of affects the relationship. If you know that somebody you're friends with isn't going to tell the truth, is going to kind of sugarcoat everything, you're kind of like, well, I don't really want to ask them their opinion because I'm not going to get the truth. I'm not going to get a real answer. Some years ago, I had a conversation many years ago with a staff member who, who knew that somebody they were leading in ministry was, was outside the boundaries, was walking in some very real sin. And I said to my friend, I said, hey, brother, it's your job to kind of talk about this to him. This person is part of your ministry team. You need to, you need to talk to him. And he couldn't bring himself to do it. I said, oh, brother, you have to understand, you're not doing it is not love. Love is when you tell the truth. Love is when you're honest about important things and important moments. And that was a journey for him to grow into learning how to do that when it was really necessary. And I, I bring all that up because this morning, Jesus wants to talk to us about whether or not we are honest with ourselves. Because all of us are tempted not to be sometimes. In fact, the Lord put it this way. He said, back in Luke chapter 8, he said, nothing is hidden that will not be eventually disclosed. And nothing concealed will not eventually be known and brought out into the open. So when I read that, when I hear Jesus say that, I have to ask myself, what is the point of a lie? What is the point of being dishonest with myself? What is the point of trying to be disingenuous or dishonest 
with God. And, and the reality is that if I never admit the truth of God to myself, I can't experience him. Let me say that again. If I'm unwilling to be honest with myself and honest with God about what's going on with me or about what he's talking to me about, then I can't experience him. I actually cut myself off from experiencing him. God profoundly values our willingness to be honest with ourselves and to be honest with him. And, and that's why Jesus tells this story beginning here in verse 19 of chapter 16. Uh, let's listen to him together and let him teach us. Here, here Jesus is telling a story again because, friends, what we need to grow our spirits, to grow in our relationship with God, to enter into the kind of life God has for us, we actually need these stories. Stories touch the heart as well as the head. It's why Jesus devoted himself to telling stories. And here this morning, he tells an unusual story. Here's what he says. He says, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen, and he lived in luxury every day. Ask yourself what the definition of living in luxury is, and then ask yourself, would most of the world agree with you? Or would they consider your life luxurious? This rich man lived in luxury every day, and at his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. A sick man who was unable to take care of himself is laid at the rich man's doorstep. That was the custom in those days. There wasn't a, you know, a welfare system. There wasn't food stamps. There wasn't public welfare. And so when, when there was a beggar who, who had no means, nobody to take care of him, sometimes he, would be, he or she would be brought to the estate of a man known to have more than enough, known to have the means to care for him without even really feeling it. And that was what was done with this Lazarus. Longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table, just a little, just the leftovers. Even the dogs came and licked at his sores. Let's pause for just a moment. And it is very sobering and humbling, humbling to me to realize that most of the world would consider my life and yours a life of luxury. I'll never forget when we were doing missions in Peru 15 years ago as a church and driving through the mountains of Peru from one village to another, meeting with people, and going down a long road about 14,000 feet up in the mountains, harsh climate, and in order to get from one village to the next in our little Toyota 4Runner, the five of us had to drive past probably about 25 women, all told, in ones and twos, who all had to be 50s and 60s, all carrying enormous sacks of potatoes and, and uh, water buckets on foot down the dirt road back to their house. And every time we passed one, I thought to myself, wow, wow, do I live in the lap of luxury. Uh, I, I, my, my, my zip code isn't 90210, but I'm definitely living in the lap of luxury. And this rich man had that kind of life. He had things like indoor plumbing, hot, clean water at, on demand, electricity whenever he wanted it, a roof over his head, clothes on his back, money to go to the movies. He, he had all that stuff. And this poor man was laid at his doorstep needing only the tiniest leftovers of what he had. But this man ignored him. This man was completely indifferent to him. All this man could see or think about was himself, his own appetites, his own needs. 
And the little detail at the end about the dogs coming and licking his sores would be immediately understood in the first century in that context as meaning the rich man never met his need. He just left him to the dogs. And then Jesus goes on with the story because that was just the setup. Here's a man whose habit was ignoring the needs of others, no matter how obvious they were, no matter how near to him they came. And whenever I, I read that, I think to myself, oh, Lord, please help me be alert, be aware when you lay somebody at my doorstep. But Jesus goes on. That's just the setup. He says, the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. That's a first century euphemism for heaven, for the afterlife. The time came when the beggar died. Church, Jesus wants us to understand, because he loves us, that the time always comes. It's only a matter of time until the time comes for me. It's only a matter of time until the time comes for you. The theme of judgment is repeated and constant in Jesus' teaching. If we try to imagine a Jesus who doesn't talk about heaven and hell, who doesn't talk about eternity, who doesn't talk about the connection between how we live this life and how we live the next life, we're just making that guy up. Because the real one talked about it all the time. And he said, the time is coming. And for this rich man, the time came, both the beggar and the rich man. And Jesus says, the beggar died. He was carried to Abraham's side. He went to heaven. The rich man also died and was buried but he found himself in a very different condition. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. Friends, if, if we try to pretend that hell isn't real, we're just cutting ourselves off from the real Jesus because he talked about it a lot. In fact, he talked about it more than just about anybody in your Bible. He brought it up over and over again because it's around the same way a good parent will talk about realities to their growing child. Jesus talks to us about the reality of eternity and about the fact that it's not just a place where everybody goes to heaven like in a country music song. I don't know, some go to hell. Most go to hell. Some go to heaven. Here's this rich man finding himself in that place. There he was in torment, and he looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called him and he said, Father Abraham, have pity on me. And send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. Church, let us be sobered by the fact that eternal regret is not a regret any of us wants to come to. Eternal regret is agony. Some of us have earthly regrets, things that we can't get over that we said or did or failed to say or failed to do, and we feel how miserable and difficult that reality is. Imagine it going on forever. That's what this rich man is feeling. And so he cries out to, quote, unquote, Father Abraham. See, that's kind of a giveaway to the fact that the guy could, hey, I'm a Jew. I'm in for free. I don't have to do anything. You know, I was born here in Israel, so I get to go to heaven. And he finds out that's not real. But Abraham replied to him and said, son, remember that in your lifetime, you received good things, which you didn't share while Lazarus received bad things. Now he is comforted here, and you 
are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to there, from uh, here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. There's that idea of judgment again. It's sobering. But church, understand, Moses told the children of Israel that the fear of God is a gift. The fear of God is a gift because it keeps us from doing or not doing things that are dangerous to us. I remember when our son was young and I knew he was going to grow up into a teenager full of himself and feeling like he could conquer the world with his bare hands. And so I told Rhonda, you know, one of the agendas that I have in Isaiah's life is that he would learn in a good way to fear his dad. He needs to learn to know that dad will bring consequences into his life because that will help him get through those teenage years. Because, you know, in the teenage years, young men don't really have a brain. They just have a brain stem. See, and that grows in the 20s into a full brain, right? So with that spirit, Jesus paints this picture of the reality of eternity. But that's not his point in this story. All we just talked about is just the setup. Here comes the point. Then I beg you, Father, says the rich man. In hell. I beg you, Father, send Lazarus. And by the way, this is not the same Lazarus as in John 11. Lazarus was a name lots of guys had. John, Dan, Henry, Greg, whatever. It's a common name. Then I said, uh, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house. For I have five brothers still living their earthly lives. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. And Abraham replied, listen carefully, church, because this is the point. Abraham replied and said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. They have the stories of what God has done, how God has intervened in the world, how God has revealed himself. They have those. Those are near them. These are Jewish men growing up in a Jewish world, and they were surrounded by the scriptures. They have those. The fact is they have the choice to listen to them anytime they want to, and they know they should. Jesus says, let them listen to them. And, and then here, here's, here's what the modern world says in reply. No, Father Abraham, that's not enough. But if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. If they could just see a miracle, if they could just see something supernatural, then they would believe. That's what our world needs, more miracles. Friends, can I remind you to remember that the Old Testament is the story of God doing miracles one after another by the dozens, by the hundreds, abundantly. And still the people rebelled against him and rejected him and refused to learn from him. But so many people say, well, just, we just get more miracles. People need miracles to believe. God says, that's a lie. That is a fundamental dishonesty. And he warns us against it. Listen to what Jesus says. He said to them, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Now, there's a rich irony in this moment because what's he going to do in a matter of months? He's going to rise from the dead. And they're going to find a million reasons to explain it away. Oh, it was aliens, right? It was people, it was, you know, shadow people from the fourth dimension. People will get insane making up excuses not to listen to the testimony God has already given. And here's the reality, church. God says, I have shown every human being on the planet that I'm here. They all know it. 
The only question is whether they'll admit it to themselves. The psalmist writes in Psalm 14, verse 1, these words, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. The word fool doesn't mean dumb, doesn't mean ignorant. It means a person who's willfully wicked. It's a moral term in the original Hebrew. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. In other words, the person who chooses to be dishonest with themselves. And you know what? I, I recognize, I confess to the truth of this because when I was a young man before I was a believer and my dog tags were stamped atheist, I knew I was singing and dancing. I knew I was playing a game. I knew that, that what I was saying couldn't ultimately be true. I knew in my heart of hearts God was there, but I wasn't about to admit it. Not to myself, nor to anybody else. And so I lived like a fool. God says to us, hey, I'm a father. I need you to be honest with yourself. I need you to not deceive yourself. You've got to come clean about what you know in your heart. And the scripture says that God has made himself self-evident in our word. Listen to Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and following. says this. Paul writes, what may be known about God is plain. He has made it plain. Since the creation of the world... God's invisible qualities have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that man is without excuse. God has made himself self-evident to every human being. Now, we're not talking about all the details of doctrine. We're not talking about all the specifics of mature Christian faith where we learn what's right and wrong in every circumstance and situation. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the, the raw, basic, bare-bones fact that he's there, that we have sinned, and that we need to own that. Everybody knows that. The question is, whether we're willing to admit it to ourselves or pretend we don't know it. In fact, that passage in verse 18, the apostle begins by saying, this is why the wrath of God is being poured out on the world. Not because he's just mad about stuff, but because he knows people are being dishonest about what they know about God. Church, please understand, faith is not a leap in the dark. It's not just a mystical option chosen by people who are religiously inclined. Faith, the Bible says, is a fundamental willingness to be honest with God. And to say, you know what, God, I know you're there. I've always known you're there. And I, I know that I have sinned. And so, God, I want to I make that right. I want to get with you. I want to learn from you. I want to own the fact that you're there. But so often we try to avoid that. We dissemble. We prevaricate. We try to talk our way out of it and through it. Yeah, I remember when our son was about six years old. And you have to know, Rhonda's passionate about nutrition. She once upon a time had a dream of becoming a nutritionist. Then she married me, and that was kind of the end of that dream. But she, she, when Isaiah was little, she set out to, to teach him really good eating habits. And she was amazing at it. So pe people... I, this is hard to picture, so, you know, exercise your imagination here for a moment. But when he was six years old, she would take him to McDonald's, and he would order a salad, if you can imagine such a thing. He's a six-year-old. He didn't want a happy meal. He wanted a salad. This is the moment at which I realized that my wife was probably possessed by the devil, was in this time <laughs> when this was happening. And so, you know, that kind of wasn't my vibe. And so, you know, he's getting older and she's just doing this amazing job. And, and I thought to myself, man, he's missing out on the best things in life. <laughs> and so one day I was home with him and she was working and he's about six, six years old. And I thought to myself, today is the day that I'm going to introduce my son to one of God's great gifts, ding dongs, right? <laughs> So I went to the store. Rhonda's at work. I'm watching him. I'm home that day. So I went to the store. I got a box of ding-dongs. I brought them home. I said, son, sit here at the table with me because I'm going to bless you forever and eternity. 
And so I introduced him to the ding-dong. He probably ate three of them that day, you know, and I had the rest. And so, you know, we just had this glorious time there. And kind of towards the end of lunch, my phone rings. <laughs> it's Rhonda. She's on her lunch break. She says, hi, I'm just calling to see how you're doing, how's things going at home and everything. I said, it's going great. We're having a great time. She says, did you guys have lunch? I said, actually, Isaiah's full right now. He, um, his, his tummy's full. She said, good. Did you make sure he got his vitamins? I said, he got some vitamins. He did get some <laughs> vitamins today. She said, did you make him learn that he has to eat what we put in front of him? I said, he ate what I put in front of him. Yes, yes, he did today. And now, now you see what I was doing there, right? I was kind of pretending that I was being honest when I wasn't really being honest. And when Rhonda got home that night, that was the point at which we went into marriage counseling, which was shortly after that. No, no, I'm kidding. But you see what I was doing in that moment. We, 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 we do that with ourselves. Sometimes we do it with God. We have a saying in our family, there are no technicallys. Because when our kids were teenagers, they said, did I tell you this? Yeah, but technically, no, there's no technicallys, all right? You know what I meant. You want to own that. God says we have that tendency. And Jesus is calling our attention to that tendency here. Let me ask, are you honest with yourself about what God is saying to you? Are, are you honest with yourself about the fact that you know in your heart that he's there? He's a father. He insists on that. He demands that we would be honest with ourselves and honest with him. And that's why Jesus tells the story, because he knows that this rich man talked himself out of ever doing what was good and right because he was willing to be dishonest with himself. He was willing to kind of play that game. Jesus says that's a dangerous game. And so this story that Jesus tells is about how God takes me seriously and my responsibility to those in need. But, but even more, it's about being honest about the fact that we know he's there and what he's saying to us. Okay, so Jesus does this, friends, because he knows that I need to rediscover where soul health is really found, where the health of my spirit, my insides are really found. And that's where it links to the very next story here in Luke 17. C.S. Lewis wrote this. He said, we must understand that God made us. He invented us as a man invents an engine. And a car is made to run on petrol or gasoline or electricity or diesel or whatever, and it would not run properly on anything else. Now, God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits are designed to burn, so to speak, or the food our spirits are designed to feed on. There is no other. That's why it's no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering about religion, without bothering about our relationship to him. God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it doesn't exist. It's not there. And so when he speaks to us, it's always to grow us in that way. What did he want the rich man to discover? The joy of meeting the needs of a man laid at his doorstep but he never discovers it, and instead, he's still walking in denial and regret, even on the other side. You and me were meant to live on God's ways, and we can't be whole on the inside without his... That's the point of the story of the ten lepers that follows. Just to summarize it, Jesus tells a story about ten lepers. They come to him to be healed. He heals them all. He does a miracle in every one of their lives, but 
the scripture says nine of them just acted as if nothing had happened. They went from one need to the next. They just moved on. They completely ignored the fact that he had done that personally for them. But one leper, verse 15 tells us, one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. And he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. You know, if we were to put that in today's context, Jesus would have said this. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Palestinian. Anything to shake up our sense that, well, hey, I was born here. I have this attitude. I have this status, so I don't need to get real with God. Jesus challenges that. And he says about this man, look at verse 17 to 19. Jesus says, where's the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? There's the, the theme again. Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Ten were healed. Only one was made well. Ten experienced God. Only one responded to God. And that one, Jesus said, was well. Well is more than healed. Well is whole on the inside out. You see, church, there's a health in gratitude that can't be found anywhere else. You know, Ron and I are getting ready. Actually, this, the end of this week, we're going to celebrate our 39th anniversary. Wow, yay, right? Here's one of the awesome things about being married that long. You get to this point where you are just endlessly filled with gratitude for the other person. Sometimes I just think to myself, holy cow, this woman has put up with me for four decades, and she likes me. It's amazing. She cares about me. She does. She's done so much for me. I do not have words to express how much she has given me in my whole life. And I'm just filled with this gratitude. And when I feel it, I'm like, oh, this is awesome. And she feels the same way. There's the real mill girl. She feels the same way. Sometimes we'll just look at each other and go, it's good to live with you. And all of that comes from gratitude. All of that flows out of gratitude. That joy can't be known or experienced any other way. That's what wellness is. And here's the reality, church. We're getting into the home stretch here. God wants to do, catch me, God wants to do more in your life than just solve the immediate problems that you can see. Oh, sure, he's interested in those. He cares about us. He knows what we're going through. He, but he wants to do much more in our lives than just solve the immediate problems we see. He wants to father you into joy. That only happens when you respond to him. When he speaks to you and you say, God, I know that's you. You're talking to me. I hear you. I own it. That's the only road to joy. And to thank him for what he's done for us. That's the only road to joy. You know, I'm recovering from this motorcycle wreck. Everybody knows about this, going through this shoulder thing. And, you know, I've had lots of surgery. I've had five knee surgeries, two spine surgeries. I'm used to getting fixed by surgery. So when I went to see the surgeon about this one, I'm like, okay, let's do another surgery. We know how to do this. Let's roll. Just patch me up. He says, well, Greg, you're not a kid anymore. <laughs> He says, all this damage, he says, I can't really, if I just surgery it right now, it might not repair properly. He says, we got to do some other stuff. He says, so I want you to go do some physical therapy. I hate physical therapy. Can I just tell you that? I mean, it's not fun. It's not exciting. It's boring. It's dull. It's repetitious. And part of me wants to go, no, doc, just do the surgery, would you? But he knows that I need much more than that to be healed in the long run. So he says, no, Greg, I'm not going to do that yet going to send you to physical therapy. I want you to do this for a couple of months. I want you to work through this process. And then maybe at the end of it, we'll be able to do a surgery that'll bring the whole thing together. And I'm like, would you just cut me? He says, no. 
It's the same thing with us and God. God comes into our lives and says, I want to do much more than just solve the problems that you see in the way that you think they need to be solved. And it's only when we're honest with God, with what he's saying to us. It's only when we say, God, I see that you're laying that person at my doorstep, that we discover what he's really up to. See, here's the problem, and here's the last part of our, our, our message this morning. We tend to pay more attention to what's happening in the world than what's happening inside of us or what will happen in the eternity to come. And God wants to change that. Look what Jesus says in verse 20 and 21. Once, having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, let's understand why the Pharisees are asking this question. They're asking it because they live in a land occupied by a foreign power. Rome is ruling Jerusalem. Nobody loves it. Everybody hates it. They want to be rid of the Romans. They want it so bad that they've convinced themselves that that's the thing they need the most. And they know that Jesus is coming, to claiming to be the Messiah. So they say, when are you going to throw out the Romans? When will your kingdom come? We're ready. When are you going to make that happen? And Jesus' reply, church, is something you and I, if we want to follow him for real, need to understand. Jesus said, Jesus replied, the kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, nor will people say, here it is or there it is. You can't elect all the right people and get the kingdom of God. You can't win all the right wars and get the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God is within you. In other words, you, if you want to experience God, you're going to have to pay more attention to what's going on inside of you than what's going on in the world around you. Sometimes we think that righteousness means having the right opinion about all the issues. Jesus said, no. It means being honest with yourself and honest with God. So honest that when he lays a beggar at your doorstep, you recognize the opportunity. So honest that when he blesses you, you Go back to him with praise and thanksgiving, seeking relationship, because there's no other road to joy. Church, here's the reality. Human beings, every single human being you've ever met, lasts forever. Forever. Next to the lifespan of a human being, the greatest nation the world has ever seen is less than nothing. Because even if a nation, even if an empire lasts a thousand years, it doesn't hold a candle to the life of a human being, which goes on forever. And so where is God focused? On the inside of us. Because he knows that lasts forever. All the other stuff will pass away. So Jesus goes on here in Luke 17 to talk about the end times, the rapture, the second coming, the tribulation. It's all real. And we have, church, as a Christian, you should be firmly planted on the hope of his return because he's coming back and when he does he's putting an end to this mess that's where we find the strength to persevere in a meaningful way through the mess is knowing that at the end every wicked evil thing done will be undone by the return of jesus he made that very apparent and he said when that comes it's, it's the end of the story. Verse 24, he says, the son of man in his day will be like the lightning which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. So, so understand, we must let militaries do what they must do. Soldiers have a calling. The Christian faith is not pacifist. It recognizes the need for justice, just as a policeman has to execute violence in order to bring about in the short term a form of justice. So also do soldiers need to do that. It has to happen. But we understand that righteousness goes deeper. 
And we do not give in to superstition, which says, hey, if I'm on the right side, then I'm good. No, God says, do you notice and recognize the beggar I lay at your doorstep? Do you give thanks for the blessings I've poured out on your life? Church, there's no other way to experience God than to be honest with him. So let me ask us as we get ready to close. I'm going to share a story, and we're going to be done. How honest are, with, are you with yourself about what God is saying to you? Is he talking to you about a beggar he's laid on your doorstep, maybe at work, at school, at home, in your family, in your neighborhood? Is God calling your attention to someone and you're just saying, you know what, I'm going to distract myself with other things because I don't want to do the hard work of trying to help that person, of praying for that person, of giving or serving that person. Only when we're honest that God is talking to us about that person can we find what we were looking for by avoiding it. That's how it happens. So let me finish with a story. The 2016 film, The Finest Hours, is the true story about the U.S. Coast Guard's greatest rescue, called The Finest Hour of the U.S. Coast Guard. It happened off the coast of Cape Cod, Massachusetts, in April of 1952, when what is known since as the storm of the century blew in. I'll talk about hurricanes. This was the granddaddy of them all. And as a result, there were multiple emergencies at sea, several ships foundering such that every resource that the Coast Guard had in that area had already been deployed when the call came in that yet another ship was in danger of going down. And when the call came in that night, there were only three young men, three teenagers, junior Coast Guard, left at the radio station. And all they had to work with was a 24-foot boat meant to rescue eight people total. Tiny little boat in the storm of the century. But when they heard the call and every other resource was deployed, they realized, in keeping with the motto of the Coast Guard, you have to go out, but you don't have to come back, that they had to go and try and save whoever they could on this sinking ship. So they piled into that little boat and headed out to sea. Old salts who saw them go said, we'll never see them again. They're going to die out there. They're not going to rescue anybody. They're going to lose themselves out there. But they went. And long story short, miracle upon miracle, not only did they find the foundering ship, which by then had broken in two, but they were able to rescue 32 sailors into a boat built for eight, keep themselves afloat at the same time, and then navigate back to shore. And by the way, because of the storm, the power had gone out of shore, and the only way that they could find the shore was that the townspeople who knew they'd gone out brought their cars down to the harbor and turned the lights on so there would be a beacon. And when you see that moment realized in the story, when these guys are rescued, when the impossible happened, there's this sense of, I want to be part of something like that. God says that happens in your life and mine when we're honest about what he says to us. When he lays somebody on our doorstep and we say, oh, Lord, yeah, that's you. Imagine how this story would have gone if the rich man had gone to the beggar and cared for him, provided for him, and then the two were reunited in heaven afterwards. Oh, you took care of me. Oh, man, you gave me a chance to take care of you. Wow. God wants that for us. God wants that for you, but it only happens if we're honest with him. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? Maybe as we close this morning, you have always known that God is there, but you've never admitted it to yourself. 
You don't have a relationship with him. You don't know him as your father. In this moment, he's inviting you to open your heart, to be honest, to be real. You know he's there. When you do that, he says, I will come in, adopt you as my daughter, my son. I will father you. I will give you my spirit. All you have to do is admit it. All you have to do is come clean, be open, be honest with me. Because I love you. Maybe you need to do that this morning. Don't be afraid. God is seeking you. He loves you. And this is the way to find what you're looking for. Maybe you've done that, but along the way, you've gotten so worried, so fearful, so self-absorbed that when a beggar's laid at your doorstep, you find a reason to think about something else. This morning, Jesus wants you to know that he comes to you through those needs. And when God lays that person on your heart, it's so that you can experience him through them. Maybe you just need to go, God, you've been talking to me. I've been pretending I don't hear you. That can change right here, right now. Just tell him, just open your heart. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this challenge to be honest with ourselves and to be honest with you. God, as we go from here today, let it be with eyes to see the people you've laid at our doorstep, the people you've placed in our lives, that we might find the joy you mean us to know. God, teach us to be filled with thanksgiving for your faithfulness, that we might be made well. We pray for that. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me, church? Gosh, I talk too much. Wake up your neighbor if they drifted off there. But be honest with yourself if God's talking to you. Now may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God. Tell someone you love.